Okay, good afternoon and welcome to the San Francisco Historic Preservation Commission hearing for Wednesday, January 17th, 2024. Happy New Year and welcome back, commissioners, from your extended winter break. To enable public participation, SFGov TV is, will broadcast as soon as the um, uh, BIC meeting ends and is streaming this hearing live. And we will receive public comment for each item on today's agenda. Each speaker will be allowed up to three minutes. And when you have 30 seconds remaining, you will hear a chime indicating your time is almost up. When your allotted time is reached, I will announce that your time is up and take the next person queued to speak. We will take public comment from persons in City Hall first and then open up the remote access line. For those persons participating via WebEx, the password is HPC2024. And please raise your hand when public comment is called for the item you're interested in speaking to. For those calling in to submit their testimony, you need to call area code 415-655-0001 and enter access code 2662-020-2543 and press pound twice. You will then need to press star three to raise your hand for the item that you're interested in speaking to. And once you've raised your hand, you will hear the prompt that you have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait to speak until the host calls on you. When you hear that you are unmuted, this, that is your indication to begin speaking. Best practices are to call from a quiet location and please mute the volume on your television or computer. For those attending in person, uh, please just come forward. We also ask that you please speak clearly and slowly and if you care to state your name for the record. Uh, finally, I'll ask that we all silence any mobile devices that may sound off during these proceedings. And at this time, I'll take roll. Commission Chair Nagas Warren. Here. Commissioner Baldoff. Here. Commissioner Campbell. Here. Commissioner Foley. Aye. Commissioner Vergara. Here. And Commissioner Wright. Here. We expect Commission President Matsuda to be absent today. First on your agenda, Commissioners, is general public comment. At this time, members of the public may address the Commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the Commission except agenda items. With respect to agenda items, your opportunity to address the Commission will be afforded when the item is reached in the meeting. Each member of the public may address the commission for up to three minutes. Okay, last call for general public comment. Seeing no uh, request to speak, general public comment is closed and we can move on to department matters. Item one, department announcements. Good afternoon, commissioners. Happy New Year. Um, just providing an update on your landmark designation work program. Um, at the first hearing of the um, Land Use Committee, the board heard the landmark designation for the Westwood Park entrance gateways and pillars. It was forwarded on to the full board without a recommendation from the committee. Um, relative to other items that we are currently working through, um, the department is working and um, figuring out <laughs> all of our new state laws which have become effective, including AB 1114, um, which basically provides for a streamlined review for permits um, by the Department of Building Inspection. So there are a number of process improvements that the planning department has been working on in conjunction with the Department of Building Inspection with regard to the submittal of permits and being able to fulfill local um, regulations and requirements relative to the permitting process. Um, other items that we're working through as well are the Mayor's um, Constraints Reduction Ordinance, which looks at a lot of properties within the area and streamlines um, how um, housing is basically completed throughout the um, city as well as um, the recently passed um, commercial uses on the ground floor. So we have quite a lot on our plate for the new year in addition to 
um, things that happened in 2023, and so we're happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Very good. If there are no questions, we can move on to commission matters. Item two, consideration of adoption draft minutes for December 20th, 2023. Commissioners, we will correct the spelling of um, Ms. Gigi Platt at the end uh, of the minutes in uh, honoring or adjourning in her honor. And thank you for pointing that out, Commissioner Vergara. So with that correction, uh, the we should take public comment, members of the public. This is your opportunity to address the commission on their minutes. Last call, seeing no request to speak, commissioners. Public comment on your minutes is closed and they are now before you. Motion to approve. I'll second that. Thank you, commissioners, on that motion to adopt the minutes as corrected. Commissioner Baldoff. Aye. Commissioner Campbell. Yes. Commissioner Regara? Yes. Commissioner Wright? Yes. Commissioner Foley? Aye. And Commissioner Chair Nagus Warren? Yes. So moved, Commissioners. That motion passes six to zero. And places us on item three Commission comments and questions. Um, so I had one um, announcement, which uh, is regarding the water resiliency um, uh, initiative that the port is embarked on for. Uh, doing major retrofit of the um, Embarcadero um, to raise it for water, uh, for sea rise um, and climate change. Um, and in the meeting that we had yesterday, um, I was uh, noted down that they had a planning commission date um, penciled in for March 7th and then HPC on March 20th. And if I understood correctly, they are releasing the um, draft EIS and the um, and the programmatic agreement on the 26th of January, with a comment period to about the 26th or the 29th. Uh, I believe they're having public um, or the port's presentation on the 26th and getting comments through the 29th. So I wondered whether we should have them present to us prior to that. Um, so Mr. Sucre, if you could request that. Sure, I'd be happy to follow up. Any other comments or questions? Seeing none, commissioners, we can move on to item four, remote public comments. So on November 15th, 2023, um, you decided to continue this to today's date just to see what, I guess, how other commissions responded to the mayor's directive to cease remote public comment. Uh, the Planning Commission um, uh, voted to suspend remote public comment as of the beginning of this year. So at their first hearing last week, they did not have remote public comment, with exception, and I think this is an important one, uh, is that we do provide for reasonable accommodations. So for example, Sue Hester requested in advance um, to be able to access and submit her testimony remotely as a senior citizen with, um, I guess, mobility issues. Um, and we provided that to her at the Planning Commission. Um, the Health Commission has also followed the Mayor's Directive, the Rec and Park Commission, uh, SFMTA, the board, um, the only commission I'm, I am aware that has continued remote public comment is the Board of Appeals. 
Um, I don't, I'm not aware of any other uh, board or commission that has um, continued to receive remote public comment to date. Jonas, which one was that? The Board of Appeals. Yeah. Um, I mean, for my purposes, uh, it would nice it would be nice to be consistent between the two commissions of the Planning Commission and the Historic Preservation Commission. Again, when I reached out to uh, the mayor's office, their response was essentially to um, get more pedestrian traffic here in City Hall, um, to have consistency throughout uh, commissions and boards in San Francisco, uh, and that was pretty much it. Uh, when I sort of thought about it, I, I and with all this chat AI stuff going on, um, it wouldn't surprise me at some point, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet, that someone developed some software thing where people were calling in that weren't actually people. <laughs> that were just sort of, mm. you know, artificial intelligence that was um, mm. taking on people's voices and pretending to be and mixing up the same type of um, comments. Um, I don't know. Anyway, um, we should open up public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the Commission on Remote Public Comment. Again, if you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, there are no members of the public calling in remotely. So with that, public comment is closed, and this matter is now before you, Commissioners. Commissioner Foley. Um, thank you, President Ruchero. I, I, I think that we should uh, continue to make reasonable accommodations just like we did for Sue Hester. Um, but I think otherwise we actually should try to have people come down here for active civic engagement. And I think we should be liberal on that accommodation for people coming in. But I think we, we you know, my recommendation excluding the, the, someone requesting it, we should actually terminate um, remote hearing. My, my recommendation. Commissioner Baldoff. Um, I just have a question for Mr. Sucre. What is the work status at the, um, it says it's on, um, um, uh, of the department? How much work from home is the department doing versus um, work from the office? Sure, so the department and the city is basically requires um, planning staff to be in the office three days a week and then two days they're allowed to work from home. And the planning department requires our staff to be in in, in person on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I should add actually with this remote public comment directive from the mayor's office, it is expected for staff to make their presentations in person as well. Um, maybe less so here, but uh, on occasion at the planning commission, we have, um, uh, sort of planners in supporting roles on a project that might be technical experts on a particular issue that might join via WebEx remotely rather than come down to City Hall and wait. In, I mean, they join in case there is a specific question that they can answer, and the Planning Commission did allow for those tangential staff to come in uh, uh, remotely, but that the project planner would still be required to come in um, and make their presentations in person. Commissioner Vergara. Um, I just wanted to agree with uh, Commissioner Foley. Uh, I think it's um, our society has enough opportunities for people to go it alone and solo and sit at home and, and uh, make comments remotely. But 
uh, as long as people have the opportunity, uh, have the ability uh, to come down to their city hall and uh, participate directly in the, the affairs of their city, I think that should be encouraged. Commissioner Campbell. Question, it, are we returning to sort of how it was pre-pandemic then? Is, is that what we're proposing? It, it is. That's mm. essentially what's happening. And for those of you that saw that evolution of pre-pandemic circumstances and allowing the public to weigh in on the phone, did you feel, to, to my fellow commissioners, did you feel that that, you know, I think increased none the of depth? us had experienced that. Oh, really? We're all Pre post-pandemic. Post-pandemic. <laughs> okay. All right. Really? Well, or mid-pandemic. Mid pre-pandemic. Oh, you were yeah. pre-pandemic. Yeah, okay. pre I've been here a while. Pre-pandemic. Yeah. Okay. So you've I've seen it. Yeah. Commissioner Foley. Yeah. <laughs> Commissioner Foley. <laughs> Did it, what was the difference? do you feel like it increased the uh, opportunities for the public to weigh in by having that? I mean, obviously it was diff different during the pandemic because of the circumstances, but did the, do you think it opened the floodgates in a positive way or negative way? No, I, th I think, um, I've been coming to City Hall for hearings for a long time, um, and I think it's, it's really positive, and I think it's, it's kind of a pain to have to come down here. Mm -hmm. um, but I think reactivating the city is really important, and I think we had people on remote public comment that we're able to kind of hide behind a, a mm -hmm. black curtain mm -hmm. and wasn't so positive. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that bringing people back is really is really important. I think it's actually important not just for this commission, I think it's important for the city. I think it's important for our, for our country. I think it's important for the world. I think this whole remote work thing and staying at home and being in a closet 24 seven is actually really bad for society. That's my personal opinion. Well, and the data kind of agrees with that too. Like the loneliness alone, right, is is on the rise. Um, I agree with my fellow commissioners. Um, I think in person is 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 moving in the right direction. And I think you know you can always have a proxy if you can't be here physically, right? You could have a representative read a note on your behalf, um, and then for extraneous circumstances. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Commissioner Wright. Uh, yeah, thank you, um, Commissioner Nagaswaran, and, and thank you, Jonas, for um, following up um, on the lot of questions that we had previously. Um, my um, previous questions and concerns were uh, similar to those of Commissioner uh, Campbell in terms of um, uh, access and participation and, and um, allowing greater access and participation, because um, I know it is... Uh, possible sometimes for people to get here, but also not possible for people to get here, but possible for them to call in. Um, but I, I appreciate uh, the information, and uh, I, I do think that it, it is more clear to understand people who are commenting and asking questions in, um, in the hearing room. Um, so that's, that's a plus, uh, but thank you. Commissioner Baldoff, did you have another comment? Yeah, so I, I guess I, I want to wholeheartedly agree with Commissioner Foley, and I completely understand the, the um, debate that making things easier should encourage participation, but I think there's a
we have to take a vote? So, I mean, you, you don't have to because we didn't vote to institute remote public comment, but I think, for the record, I think it would be wise in this situation to do so. And Motion to terminate remote public comment unless someone has a disability that they call in for and ask for uh, accommodation. We should be reasonable in that accommodation. Does that include all staff? Uh, I would say that I would not argue with uh, Commissioner Baldoff at this tenure in, in his career, so I'm, I'm supportive of that adoption. So long as the, um, the presenter doesn't need the reasonable accommodation. Correct. Or have COVID. Very good. Is there a second? Second. Thank you, Commissioners, on that motion then to suspend remote public comment, including for staff with exception to reasonable accommodations. On that motion, Commissioner Baldoff? Aye. Commissioner Campbell? Yes. Commissioner Vergara? Yes. Commissioner Wright? Yes. Commissioner Foley? Aye. And Commission Chair Nagas Warren? Yes. So move, Commissioners, that motion passes unanimously six to zero. Commissioners, that will place us on consideration of items proposed for continuance. Um, item five, election of officers, your rules state that uh, we need to agendize this matter, and you can uh, continue uh, to, a, to a later date. Uh, the only reason it's on the continuance calendar is because the current commission president is absent today. Uh, and generally speaking, the commission is honored, has waited to elect uh, new officers when there is a full, um, uh, when all the commissioners are present. Uh, that is being proposed for continuance to February 7th. And then item six, case number 2019-017325 COA for the property at 109 Liberty Street, certificate of appropriateness is also proposed for continuance to February 7th, 2024. We should open up public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on their continuance calendar, only on the matter of continuance. Seeing no request to speak, Public comment is closed and your continuance calendar is now before you. Motion to approve. Second. Thank you, commissioners, on that motion then to continue items as proposed. Commissioner Baldoff? Aye. Commissioner Campbell? Yes. Commissioner Vergara? Yes. Commissioner Wright? Yes. Commissioner Foley? Aye. And Commission Chair Nagas Warren? Yes. So moved, commissioners. That motion passes unanimously six to zero. Placing you on your regular calendar for the Loan item number seven, case number 2016, 004157OTH for the Mills Act program. This is for your consideration to adopt program policy amendments. Uh, good afternoon, Commissioners Shannon Ferguson, planning staff. The item before you today is a resolution amending um, Mills Act program policy. If I could have the overhead, please. Uh, in 2022, both the Board of Supervisors and the Historic Preservation Commission expressed concern with, with the implementation of the Mills Act program related to fairness, appropriateness, and racial and social equity. Um, to address these concerns, the Board of Supervisors are reviewing each Mills Act application in a one-off manner, and in certain cases, the program is being implemented unevenly. This is causing a great deal of uncertainty for applicants. And previously, the HPC and the Board of Supervisors expressed support for a careful review and in-depth audit of the program. In 2022, staff completed the first phase of the audit on the current state of the program. Staff researched the distribution of contracts across supervisorial districts, 
properties by eligibility type, owner, renter, occupied, um, property type, property tax savings by property type, number of contracts per year, uh, whether or not there was a change in ownership, and properties with ongoing or completed rehabilitation work. Um, in a memo to the Historic Preservation Commission dated Jan January 4th, 2023, staff presented their findings through detailed analysis, images, maps, and graphs, and that memo is included in your packets for reference. Um, in 2023, staff completed the second phase of the audit to review the program through a racial and social equity lens. Today, I'm gonna summarize some of our um, findings from the first phase and also present the findings of the second phase of the audit and the programmatic recommendations to um, better align the program with HPC resolution number 1127, centering preservation and planning on racial and social equity. Um, first, I just wanted to start with a quick overview of the MILZAC program. Um, the MILZAC legislation authorizes local governments to enter into contracts with private owners of qualified historic properties. This agreement provides property tax reductions to owners of those properties who can then allocate the tax savings towards an appropriate rehabilitation, restoration, and maintenance plan. And currently, San Francisco holds uh, 48 MILZAC contracts. Only qualified historical properties are eligible to apply for the Mills Act in San Francisco. That means that properties listed on the California or National Registers and those listed in Article 10 and 11 of the Planning Code are eligible to apply. Um, and eligibility is limited to buildings with an assessed valuation of $3 million for single-family homes and $5 million for multifamily, commercial, and industrial buildings unless they're um, granted an exemption by the Board of Supervisors as being particularly significant or in danger of demolition. In addition, the applicant must meet three of the five priority considerations, which are necessity, investment, distinctiveness, recently designated state landmarks, and legacy business. To calculate the property tax savings, the assessor performs a three-way valuation using um, the restricted income approach, fair market value, and factored base year value of the property. The lowest of those three values determines the taxable value for the year. The Millsack contract is a 10-year rolling contract. As one year expires, one year is added, so the contract is always at 10 years. The contract runs essentially in perpetuity unless terminated by the city or property owner, and it transfers to future property owners. Uh, the department requires that property owners self-report the work they complete in a previous year through the Mills Act um, annual monitoring affidavit. Staff conducts site visits every five years to make sure the exterior of the buildings is in good condition. Um, I just want to review some of the current status of the Mills Act program. A uh, review of data from 2022 shows that the program is not evenly distributed in the city as it relates to supervisorial districts, building types, and owner versus renter occupied. Um, this map shows that District 8 has the most Millsack contracts with 17, and 15 specifically in the DeVos Park Historic District. Um, just over half of the contracts are held by single-family homes, and all of those single-family homes are owner-occupied. Um, this doesn't reflect San Francisco's high renter-to-owner ratio. In addition, 42% of the rehabilitation and maintenance plans have already been completed. 
So analysis of data prepared for the housing element update um, shows that additional disparities are apparent in the program. The first is that most existing contracts fall within the high to highest resource neighborhoods, suggesting that existing MILZAC contracts are more often benefiting property owners and communities that are already facing lower barriers to opportunity. Uh, priority equity geographies are areas with a higher density of vulnerable populations. Um, a comparison of the map of properties that are already eligible for the Mills Act and the priority equity geographies map shows that a high concentration of Mills Act eligible properties are actually located in priority equity geographies. Additionally, new legislation passed in 2023 aims to reduce the regulatory barriers to make it easier to convert office buildings into housing. Um, a comparison of, um, again, the eligible um, map um, shows that a lot of those properties are um, in the adaptive reuse program eligibility area. Um, this, the Mills Act can provide a financial incentives for these adaptive reuse projects. And um, finally, really the largest barrier is the lack of knowledge about the Mills Act. Um, Knowledge about what the program is and how it works is not widespread or easily accessible to the public. It has very te difficult technical rules, requirements, and eligibility limits. And as of right now, um, our application materials are limited um, to uh, English, and this poses a barrier to non-English speaking property owners. Um, in addition, um, stakeholders want the estimated property cost of rehabilitation to be more equal to the estimated property tax savings, um, despite the fact that property tax savings are not based on rehabilitation costs. Um, as I mentioned before, to calculate property tax savings, the assessor recorder performs a three-way value comparison test. Um, but taking this into consideration, um, in 2023, the average estimated cost of rehabilitation was $235,000 for single-family dwellings and approximately $550,000 for multi-unit residential and commercial buildings. And then the average estimated um, amount of property tax savings for the first year for single-family homes was about $17,000. Um, and about $176,000 for multi-unit commercial buildings. So based on these findings, staff recommends two policy changes to the Mills Act program. The first policy change is new priority considerations. Um, those current policy um, reviews applications on the merits of priority considerations. And like I mentioned, they must meet a three out of five criteria to be given priority. Um, staff recommends amending those priority considerations since um, right now they're pretty subjective. Um, we recommend revising them to be more objective and to better align with housing, economic, and RSE goals. So um, new Mills Act applications would be prioritized based on new criteria, considerations including office to residential conversion, located in a priority equity geography, multifamily housing, and the estimated cost of rehabilitation work exceeds 200,000 for single-family dwellings and 500,000 for multi-unit residential, commercial, or industrial buildings, in addition to recently designated city landmarks and legacy businesses. Um, if an application does not meet any of the priority considerations, it will still be considered, but it may not be recommended by staff to HPC. 
Um, so these new priority considerations also align with recent commercial to residential adaptive reuse and um, downtown economic revitalization legislation, and also with the housing elements objectives to assist in the development of housing, improve and conserve existing housing stock, and address uh, environmental justice issues. So the second policy amendment is to place um, future contracts into non-renewal status at the time of their application. Um, as previously mentioned, MILSAC contracts are 10-year rolling contracts. So as one year expires, another is added, so the contract is always at 10 years, and it runs in perpetuity, um, unless terminated by the city or property owner. Um, so in the past, Board of Supervisors has commented that the MILSAC contract should be executed when there is a preservation need and terminated when there is no longer a need. Additionally, um, as mentioned before, 42% um, of the MILSAC properties have already completed all of the scopes of work outlined in their rehabilitation and maintenance plans. Um, staff recommends that all future MILSAC contracts be placed in non-renewal status in year 11 of the contract. Um, this would allow property owners to complete their 10-year rehabilitation plan and still receive a property tax reduction for 20 years. Um, staff also recommends that existing MILSAC contracts be placed into non-renewal status, starting with the oldest contract. Um, so, um, next steps. Um, following HPC review and comment, staff intends to seek review and comment from the Board of Supervisors. Staff will also conduct targeted outreach um, to property owners in the adaptive reuse areas and those um, located in priority equity geographies. Um, the goal of the engagement will be to educate property owners in these specific areas about both the opportunities and limitations of the Mills Act program. And um, this summer, staff will also be exploring the feasibility of listing Article 11 districts on the National Register so that buildings located in the downtown area can combine both federal and Mills Act tax credits for rehabilitation projects. Um, and we're also staying apprised of future requirements for state historic rehabilitation tax credits as that information becomes available. So this is, concludes my presentation. I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you. With that, we should take public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission. Again, if you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three or raise your hand via WebEx. Good afternoon, commissioners, and Happy New Year. My name is Woody Labounty from San Francisco Heritage. Um, first, let me say I appreciate um, planning department staff it's hard work on this and trying to solve a problem, which there is one here. Uh, when people reach out to San Francisco Heritage and they say, I live in a historic district or I have a landmark building, what incentives are there that I can claim? Um, I say one of the only ones is the Mills Act and it probably won't benefit you at all. There are actually 48 contracts in the city, 120,000 properties in the city, 48 are actually under Mills Act contract. And now we're talking about 42% have finished the scope of work, so how many contracts are we talking about? It's not a very uh, accessible incentive. I don't think the two amendments, especially the first one, does anything to solve this problem. Um, it may solve some of the problems with going through the entire process, going to the Board of Supervisors, and then finding out your Mills Act is being denied. Um, but 
putting it in different languages will not open up access. You can barely understand how to do it in English, I can tell you. Um, it's not evenly distributed. Well, most of the landmark and historic resources are not evenly distributed. They're in wealthier neighborhoods. Uh, single family homes, well, uh, I don't quite understand that if you're affluent enough to do the work to maintain your house, then you're probably affluent enough to apply for a Mills Act contract. But if you're not affluent enough to work in your house, you're not going to bother to apply for a Mills Act contract. Uh, expanding the eligibility seems to me to be a much better path to making this equitable, making more people able to capture this. Um, I don't think giving breaks to people who own apartment buildings in the Tenderloin is necessarily benefiting priority equity in that area. Um, I'm all for office to residential downtown conversions, um, but I don't think the Mills Act was intended to basically help you know, revitalize downtown. It was supposed to like be on the side of preservation. So um, if this solves a problem with keeping the Mills Act alive as a preservation incentive, then I'm for it. I don't think the amendments actually open it up in any real way to address racial and social equity. And um, I don't think trying to penalize the people who have gone through the Byzantine process to get a Mills Act contract is going to uh, advance that as well. So I have a lot of problems with this. Uh, again, I know the problem it's trying to solve, um, but I do think the whole Mills Act needs to be reworked and reimagined, and that might take some work from the Board of Supervisors to do so. Thank you. Okay, last call for public comment. Seeing no additional requests to speak, public comment is closed, and this matter is now before you, Commissioners. Commissioner Foley. So I, I would say this. I would say, in general, um, I'm in pretty much alignment with uh, Woody LeBounty and Heritage, except on this particular issue. I, I actually applied for a Mills Act a long time ago on a property that I no longer own, and staff was incredibly helpful. Uh, they were incredibly helpful to me. They were able to help me down the path of this, of this paperwork, and it actually went well, and they consistently corrected me when I made mistakes because I'm a guy and I'm an idiot. Um, I would also say that on the whole time I've been on this commission, every Mills Act that's come in front of us has been well-documented, has gotten approved, um, and actually I think there's been one Mills Act where we had a bad actor. I think one, one, right? We had one that we had a bad actor of Mills Act, um, as usual, I chastise that bad actor because that's what I, I really dislike a lot. And I believe that bad actor got back in compliance and has been a good actor since then. So I would say that I, again, in general, uh, am in alignment with the heritage of Mr. The Bounty, but I think in this particular case, um, I am supportive of staff, I'm supportive of the changes, and I appreciate everything you've done, and I appreciate when I did a Mills Act, uh, it went very well. So thank you very much. Commissioner Wright. Yeah, I thank you. I have a question for um, staff. Um, <clears throat> the first one is that I, I'm also curious about um, the termination of previous contracts um, and the work and I guess maybe the understanding under the previous terms of the contract for uh, the owners, what that would mean when they were investing in uh, you know, undertaking that contract. So 
maybe it's less of a question and more of a concern, but, um, you know, and, and I realize that they would be phased out um, oldest ones first, but uh, I, I, would, I would think that there would need to be uh, more clarity about how and when that that's being phased, those are being phased out. And, uh, you know, I, I would think it's also important just to consider that people went into this contract um, under the terms that they went into the contract under. So um, I, I think it's a little bit strange to change it once somebody has a contract with the city. Um, but uh, that's, that's my thought on that. And then my other question, um, which really is a question, is when would these, these changes that are being promoted, proposed, if, um, if approved, when would those be, um, when would those apply? Would those apply to contracts that are um, being approved this year or last year or? Yeah, so um, this would be, it would apply to um, contracts being approved um, this year. Um, currently, the two contracts that were approved last year, um, non-renewal le legislation has been introduced um, by the board of, at the Board of Supervisors, and that non-renewal legislation will be coming to you shortly um, for review. So um, this seems to be something that the Board of Supervisors is intent on, um, is to place the contract into non-renewal in year 11 seems to be a good compromise that we have instead of placing it into non-renewal immediately. Um, so yes, yeah. Okay, and, and then uh, just a, a question about the audit itself. Uh, there have been like two phases within the last two years of review. Are there future, uh, is there a plan for continued audit of uh, other parts this year and next year and uh, uh, future changes that may come uh, to the program or uh, that would be phased in also kind of piecemeal? I don't have, this completes our audit. Um, we'll of course be you know, examining the program as it happens over the years and seeing how these new changes um, affect the program. Commissioner Baldoff. Yes, thank you. Um, I have three Commissioner Baldoff, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but. Um, I have three questions. Um, can, going back to the figuring out the tax savings, is that a savings using the increased taxes that would have been resu uh, the result of the renovation? I, I, I didn't understand when the value was taken. Uh, the assessor could answer more, more of that question. Um, I, the property is the restricted income approach so they have the Mills Act value. The market value is based on comparable sales, and then the um, assessed value is always trended towards that year's um, property tax rolls. So they, they may take that into consideration or not. I, I don't know. That's something that I don't know. But I, it's, I know it's based on their um, assessed value. But there's an assessed value after a renovation versus before renovation? I, I don't know the answer to when the, they're reassessed based on a res, renovation. Okay, well, I, I think um, maybe you can email us at some point the answer to that question. Um, my second question, I'm confused by what well-resourced neighborhoods this 
chart with the two, two colors of blue, um, it seems to suggest the Richmond district is a high resource district. And then I go to the following page on a priority equity geography, and there's a portion of the Richmond district that is part of a priority equity geography. So I don't understand how something can be a high resource district and on the next page it's a priority equity geography. So perhaps you can explain that to me. I'm going to have to defer to Rich. Sure, Commissioner Baldoff. The, um, the terms for priority equity, priority equity geography and well-resourced well neighborhood <clears throat> are coming out of our recently adopted housing element. And it basically acknowledges those areas of the city that are well-resourced, meaning they have good access to schools, open space, basically kind of good livable neighborhoods. And then the areas that we basically need to um, serve a little better um, in other areas. And so what the housing element did was set up a framework for the rest of the city um, in terms of where we need to focus um, certain services um, moving forward. And so we're able to basically use that framework um, within um, creating new policies basically moving forward from that. And the priority equity geography, is that an economic analysis or is that a, a, a cultural analysis? It's what? a little bit of everything, honestly. It, not, it didn't just factor in um, economics, but it looked at um, cultural, looked at health outcomes. It's basically coming out of data that we received from the state and that we also undertook locally in examining the larger city. So if I'm understanding this correctly, the portion of the Richmond district that is in a, as well-resourced but is a priority equity geography, that priority equity geography of the Richmond district would be uh, um, eligible for this? Correct. Correct. Um, so, and, and keep in mind what our resolution to you does is basically outline priorities for us and for the commission to examine when reviewing applications. And that's that's our main goal um, in terms of bringing forward a resolution for the HPC is to basically be upfront about the um, priorities that we have for the program. Um, it gives direction both to staff and the public in terms of what we are evaluating when we're looking at future Mills Act applications. So someone is still able to apply for a Mills Act program um, and they are allowed to because that's their right that the Board of Supervisors does. Um, but it basically helps forecast um, how and the criteria that we're looking at it. So for example, if we somehow got 10 Mills Act applications next or this coming year, um, we might put them priorities this will help guide us in terms of what we're able to approve and what we're not able to approve, knowing that the board has only provided a certain budget for looking at Mills Act applications every year. So that gets me to my last question. What is that? I mean, because it, it, in the, the way it would be, it's, it will still be considered but might not be recommended by the department to HPC. I guess... Part of my challenge with all of this is that I'm happy to be supportive of creating guidelines and everything, but that a program, because you don't aren't on the right side of a street out on the Richmond District, and one thing is a priority thing, and another, uh, their neighbor can't 
apply for the same program, I'm a little bit troubled by. And I, I, I guess I don't know why this can't just be open. To, I mean, why you can't have this priorities and this highly underused program um, isn't then still available to everybody. So I don't really, uh, it's this last thing. Why, why would it not be recommended to us? We would still bring it forward um, to the commission for their decision, but we may not recommend um, adoption. The, and then it would be ultimately up to the commission to decide whether or not they would adopt it or not. Commissioners uh, Elizabeth Gordon, John Kira of staff. I think it's essentially kind of the same framework that we use at Planning Commission when you have certain general plan goals and policies and a project may or may not meet all of those and sometimes staff will say, will take a look at the, at the list of these policies and say that that staff is not going to recommend to the Planning Commission uh, approval and the Planning Commission then will have their own debate upon um, approval or disapproval it would be the same type of thing where we are saying it doesn't meet these priority considerations um, but there may be you know other aspects that this Commission would want to take in into account and approve so one example is um, I recall that there was a uh, structure that was up for landmarking um, which wasn't on the priority list of what we had and I was approached and I said well contact your supervisor they contacted the supervisor and the supervisor put it forward and then it was approved there there is a nuance to that but then on the other side of it I would say that you know um, and Miss Ferguson I think you mentioned this um, that there is no limit to the number of Mills acts that can be approved um, and so maybe the wording of this could be amended to say these are the priority considerations, but all uh, applications will be um, assessed um, and, and for approval. But I, I, I think we also need to look at estimated cost of rehabilitation work exceeds $200,000 for a single family dwelling and 500,000 for multi-unit residential, commercial, industrial. That is kind of a catch-all for everything. And more importantly, you really wouldn't want to do a Mills Act if you're doing $20,000 worth of work. So as long as you're doing $200,000 worth of work on a single family home, under this criteria, you, you would be eligible if you're in the Richmond or if you're in the Bayview. And 500,000 for multifamily. So I think we're actually fine on that. And again, if you were doing a $50,000 repair, the idea of filing for a Mills Act, you might as well kill yourself. But, but you have to do not just spend that amount of money you have to be either an office to residential conversion located in a priority equity um it's any one of these correct right mm -hmm. if it's any one of these i'm fine with that that's um three out of the five is that it's still three out of the five in the new list? No, that's... It, um, we haven't said that it's no, three out of five, but if that's something that you'd like to discuss more, we can certainly say that it has to be one or it has to be two. Um, I just didn't... We didn't put a number on it. Oh, so I, I guess the, I was just confused because... Um, was the, the initial, with the way it is now, is three out of five. 
Mm-hmm. And yes. the new does not. The newest does not retain no. the three out of five no. discussion. No. Okay. Any of okay. Yeah, I think Any of those. And, and do we have to vote on this? Yes. 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 I, mean, I think we just keep it the way it is, the, the, the way it would be, and any one of these criteria fits, and that way we have the catch-all, so we can have anyone in any part of the city that's doing over two hundred thousand dollars worth of work on a single-family home, or five hundred thousand for multifamily, and that way we are expanding the reach to everyone. And I think, again, I just want to mention, when I did work with staff on a Mills Act application when I was young and had hair, um, they were incredibly helpful to me, and we got through it. You just have to ask for help. Um, the other thing I would note is that, um, you know, you have this initiative to approach, um, you know, various property owners. Um, and if what Commissioner Foley would work and you're reaching out to these broader groups, then um, is that also, you know, it, that's really the thing that's going to open this up is, is you know, is that aspect. Yes, we will be doing outreach to um, those who are already eligible for the Mills Act, um, and specifically in those those um, areas. And so, um, thinking about that, um, can you just tell us what would be the ad advantage of going this direction? Is it really opening it up to more people, or is it just prioritizing it for the city's purpose of equity? I think it's prioritizing those applications. Yeah. Um, are we needing to do that, that we're getting yeah. so many of them that well, we're I think needing it helps. to prioritize? I'll help chime in on this. I think it helps us set uh, expectation for the public when applying mm -hmm. for the program. So that way then we are very, being clear on how the program is going to be implemented um, from the get-go. And that's partly why we want the HPC to adopt a resolution dictating for us some criterion for examining this for the future. I think that's been our big charge on this and making sure that we can basically refocus the program on the areas of the city that basically need it the most. Um, and then that way then we're being clear up front with the public about how the program is rolling out uh, moving forward. And so what Commissioner Foley was saying in terms of cost um, he, I, I think I understood correctly, is that the cost is prohibitive unless you are dealing with, uh, you know, somebody that is capable of taking on that cost. Um, so how do we open this up to more people when there is that cost prohibitive mm -hmm. side of it, regardless of areas and things like that, that may be the first hurdle um, and then uh, I'll think of the other things in a moment, but can I, can I mention something about that? Really um, so there is a, there is a program for the Bayview for seniors, um, with the mayor's office where the, where the mayor's office will actually invest money into seniors, uh, housing in the Bayview and that married with the mills that could actually do the work. And unluckily San Francisco is really expensive and you don't get a whole lot for $200,000 unluckily. Um, so I think I think that, you know, maybe it goes to 100,000, but I think I think the 200,000 for a single-family home and the 500,000 for multifamily is really the key. As long as we only have to have one criteria to open this up to everybody, um, and then if if someone is under-resourced, we have to figure out a way to help get the money so they can invest in that house in, into that property. 
and maybe that goes to 100,000. I don't know. I'm, I'm fine if we went to 100,000, but I think, I think the 200,000 and 500,000 as a criteria, not, not 305, is the right solution to open it up for the whole community. Commissioner Campbell. Um, I'm wondering if, generally I think moving away from these subjective, um, that subject, subjective criteria is great. Um, I think, I, I wonder if we can, you mentioned that the audit will be over after this. Um, can we set a time frame, a year, 18 months, two years, to revisit this and see if it has, in fact, been effective in helping with the Mills Act and you know expanding and mm -hmm. prioritizing things like that? We only get an average of about three applications a year, so we might want to open it up to more of a three-year time period to see what our so we can have more data mm -hmm. um, to see who is applying and who it's helping. Yeah, and typically in December of each year is when, you know, we're usually bringing forward the Mills Act applications in September. Right, the there. Mills Act applications come to the um, commission in late September, early October, and then they go to the board in um, November, and they must be recorded by December 30th. So one of the things we could probably do is do a report back annually to the okay. commission in terms yeah. of mm -hmm. how the program is progressing, given the interest in kind of, you know, refocusing it. So. Yeah, thank you. Commissioner Wright? Yes, I, um, a few other thoughts. Uh, maybe just to clarify, uh, for with discussion regarding the, the $200,000 or the 500000 the limits on rehab, uh, just for clarity, rehab scopes don't all have to happen at one time. Um, the rehab scopes occur over the life of the contract, so yes. they may not be part of one project. It may be a focus on like windows or like one facade um, phased um, as you work around a building or something like that. So uh, that total is not really one project. No, that's not one project. Um, the rehabilitation plan is for a time period of 10 years, and applicants can space out their rehabilitation scopes to work over that 10 years, so that the $100,000 cost is not like all up front. It's over that 10-year period, is uh, that estimated cost. Uh, my next uh, point, again, I. I the more I'm thinking about this and and the the, the discussion is going on, I, I I do myself have an issue with termination of existing contracts um, that went into the contract under uh, you know previous terms. Um, but I, I would note for um, kind of everyone's um, pondering that the city can uh, terminate existing contracts on a one by one basis. Um, so it, you know, we, we, the city has the power to do that, um, and it, it might make sense to evaluate though the terminations on a one by one basis to see if it's still really like there's still some more necess necessity for some owners versus others rather than letting it fall under um, like a wholesale application of that um, of that termination after you know, a stated amount of time, at least for the, the, the contracts that were previously implemented? Um, we, because the rehabilitation plan would be completed in 10 years, 
Um, that's why we recommended um, starting with the oldest contract first, um, because that means they likely would have completed their rehabilitation plan. Yeah, I'd be curious if um, if staff has reached out to everyone who holds a, a Millsack contract currently to get their take um, or reaction to um, these changes, proposed changes, especially that one. No, not yet. Okay. Um, yeah, and keep in mind, Commissioner, that the Board of Supervisors ultimately holds the right, final authority right, right. in terms of whether the city holds and continues the contracts, and most of the contracts include that clause that basically states that the board at any time mm. can basically mm -hmm. you know, choose to basically put this into non-renewal. Yeah, um, I just it tends to be a rolling renewal. I, I just wonder if if people will um, be even less likely to take advantage of the program uh, with that proposed change rather than not, uh, and it, it already is underutilized. Um, in my mind, and I think we, we're, we're recognizing that. Um, and its utilization uh, would be great if it, if it is um, serving uh, the, the populations and communities that um, are more, um, more in need financially and, and have um, the historic resources but not the financial resources. Um, I think that's it for now. Commissioner Valda. Yes, um, I, I guess I have a question on the um, translation into different languages uh, and what other modes of um, opening up the process that the department is going to pursue and what the timeline for that is. I think we'll probably have um, other languages possibly next year. I don't think that we can translate our application as of yet into the languages for this year. Um, but as we do outreach, I think we'll, um, we'll kind of take, take a cue from the community and see what they need and what they want as well. Yeah, and, and keep in mind the city has adopted the three standard languages that require translation include Spanish, um, Tagalog, and um, Chinese. So if it's required, when is the city out of compliance by it's not having it? It's basically required upon request, so right now. And so right now, no member of the public has ever requested our application in another language. So we have a language access ordinance that, we have to, that the departments have to follow um, that basically deal with um, other languages um, and the need for access to information. Well, I would encourage the department to at least prioritize those additional required languages. Um, I, I would like to suggest an uh, amendment um, to the way it would be that Mills ap applications would be given priority based on meeting at least one of the following criteria to be very clear that mm -hmm. that if you meet one of the criteria, you're, um, second that amendment with the, uh, with the change. So there was a motion, Commissioner Baldoff. Yes. 
there's nothing further commissioners there is a motion that has been seconded to adopt the proposed amendments including um, language that priority is given when at least one of the criteria is met I would also submit that at the end of that if an application does not meet any of the above criteria it will still be considered and striked but may not be recommended by the department staff to HPC is the maker of the motion amenable? I accept that amendment. Is the second? I accept that. Very good. So, do we yeah. have any comments on the second amendment, or do we vote for that separately? Well, we well, haven't voted yet, so why don't we take them both together? Since the maker of the motion was amenable to that, and what page was that on? Is that in the presentation? Yeah. Page second to the last. Or fourth to the last. And amendment two, do we have any comments? I think two's good. I think we should just approve two as is. As long as that's approved as long as that's good with the maker of the first motion. I, I think we have some concern about uh, okay. that to my left. So I think we maybe just knock off Amendment one first and then finish amendment two. Sounds good to me. So you'd like to take up those votes separately? Very, Please. Very good. On amendment one, uh, where it's just at least one of the criteria, Commissioner Baldoff? Aye. Commissioner Campbell? Commissioner Vergara? Yes. Commissioner Wright? Yes. Commissioner Foley? Aye. And Commissioner Chernagas Warren? Yes. So is there um, a separate motion then? Oh. So um, <clears throat> I, I guess I'm, I mean, I did ask if uh, you know, it sounds like staff will be going to uh, talk with people who already hold these contracts. Uh, and it, it sounds like maybe there's there's more uh, information that could kind of inform a decision about this part of um, the proposed changes. So I, I would suggest um, a continuance on this until there's more information that might inform us, but uh, I'd be curious to hear what other commissioners think. I would say because the existing contracts already stipulate that the contract can be terminated by the Board of Supervisors, that this is probably, you know, the appropriate measure to process at this point. Correct. And knowing that the owners will be notified that they could actually go to the Board of Supervisors on, on their own, who will make a final decision outside of our body, that they would they would address that. Correct. And so they, they should definitely be notified of this um, before it goes to the board. Um, yeah, and we, we would happily provide notification mm -hmm. and outreach to anyone that's being impacted by this, this, um, this change. Commissioner Foley. I was just gonna make an motion to approve as long as the uh, applicants are notified. Quick question, do we, how do we factor in kind of the report outs and like a commitment for updates three in three years' time? Is that part of 
Is that just something we can just add it to our our typical work program? Okay. So. Commissioner, I, I, yeah, I think I think you'll get annual updates, and then if you want to just request that it be agendized as an action item, okay. we can do so. So did, did I don't, did I misunderstand that? Did 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 we not vote on the striking of verbiage that Commission Chair Nuggis Warren mentioned about, but may not be recommended to be striked? That was stricken? the first amendment we voted on. We also voted on the criteria. Okay, that yeah. was both of those. Yep. Yeah, that that was, I accepted same group. the yes. same amendment. Okay, we, 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 all, we all accepted all the changes and yep. we seconded the, the approval of all those changes. So I think the the second amendment is on the next page, um, and it has the has the uh, contract um, non renewal status. Mm. And I think uh, the, to the chair's point, I think that you're right. Um, that it's kind of it's, it's it's going to go this way. So let's approve it and let's make the let's ask the planning staff to notify any of the current people that are in the Mills Act of what's going to happen to them in the future. Uh, motion to approve. I, I would um, if 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 it is approved, um, then I would request that we get an update before the annual update next year. Uh, maybe once that information becomes available and uh, is ready to go to the board of supervisors. Sure, we can provide an informational hearing in anticipation of that. Commissioner Baldoff, do you have? A yeah, comment? I, I I guess I'm wondering because I think we are going to approve this and it sounds like it's the will of the Board of Supervisors. Um, but I do think this notion of assessing the impact of a decision in three years um, is an important benchmark to put out there for the Board of Supervisors to hear that we want, if we're going to go along with this push, which I feel like it's this is more than just this body, that we are doing it because of the belief that somehow it is going to help right. these objectives. And I don't want to go along with it and then it have failed these objectives and we don't call it out for that. So I really believe that we should add something that it's not just part of the regular workflow. It, can just become part of the regular workflow, but but that we expect this report back in three years on these actions and whether they've achieved the goals that have been attempted. And to. I think um, uh, Mr. Sucre had mentioned we actually get yearly reports on on the Mills Act. I, I understand that we get it, um, and, and and so not even three to five years, but. The, the, that's more of the tempo of understanding the effects of it. So we will get yearly reports, and on top of that, three to five years. I, I'm saying the three-year benchmark because I okay. want the Board of Supervisors, when they see this is what HPC approved, that we approved it with a request that we get this report. I, I can accept that change. Do I have a second? Second.
Very good, commissioners. And there is a motion that has been seconded on amendment number two to include notifying all current Mills Act applicants uh, to that amendment, um, as well as including a three-year review. On that motion, Commissioner Baldoff. I want to make sure that the commission president feels that that was a correct summary of the, uh, you looked um, a, so a little the, bit, the, the three-year review. The three-year review was for the overall, um, and that's why we. Well, it's, it's been attached to the second part, but it's. it's, it's well, no, it overall. was understood that yes. it was yeah. for, the, for the entire for, program. For the entire program. Not for yes. the single amendment. Okay. I just wanted I for the entire program. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Campbell. Yes. Commissioner Regara. Yes. Commissioner Wright. No. Commissioner Foley. Aye. Commissioner and Commissioner Chernagas Warren. Yes. So moved, Commissioners. That motion passes five to one with Commissioner Wright voting against the second um, motion. That concludes your hearing today, Commissioners.